There's a story in a book by Dr. Chris Thurman, who is a uh, Christian psychologist, lives in Austin, Texas. He's written several books, and one of his books is called The Lies We Believe. I discovered that book after I started the series last week, and uh, it has the same title as the series that we're in. But in the prologue of the book, he says, tells this story. He says, says this, he says, he enlisted in the Navy at the age of 16. Early in his career, he was chosen for a program aimed at turning promising seamen like himself into officers. Not only did he become an officer, but he rose up through the ranks to become an admiral. As if, as if that weren't enough, he was the first enlisted man in the history of the Navy to become chief of naval operations, the highest ranking officer in the Navy. He was a dedicated and loving family man, admired by people who served under him, and a living testimony to how far hard work and perseverance can take a person. But on May 23, 1996, he took a 38 caliber handgun, pointed it at his chest, pulled the trigger, and killed himself. Why? Why would someone who had achieved so much, who was so respected by so many, and who had such an important position, do such a thing? If you would believe the newspaper and magazine accounts, it was because the man made a mistake he simply couldn't live with. He supposedly made the mistake of wearing commendation ribbons on his uniform that he had not, was not entitled to wear. In the Navy, that is, often, that is an offense punishable by court-martial and expulsion from the service. But what was it that led this man, Admiral Mike Borda, to commit suicide? Was it wearing medals he had not earned the right to wear? Was it the fact that the press had found that and was closing in on him? Was it that he felt that he had dishonored the very organization that had been his whole life since he was a teenager? No, in the final analysis, I don't believe that any of these factors were the true cause of Admiral Borda's death. What really killed Admiral Borda was neither painful circumstances nor a self-inflicted gunshot to the chest. Lies killed Admiral Borda. Not lies he may have told others. Not lies others may have told him. Admiral Borda's death was caused by the lies he told himself. And the lies you tell yourself every day are killing you as well. Every lie that goes through your mind is slow, self-inflicted psychological and spiritual death. Every lie you think costs you your life. The lies we believe are the mental bullets that kill our souls, and they inflict, inflict significant damage, often without even realizing it, until it is too late. Uncovering the lies you believe and defeating them with the truth is the only real hope you have for a healthy life here and eternal life in the hereafter. This series we began last week called The Lies We Believe is based upon this premise, a lie believed as the truth will affect you as if it were true. A lie believed as the truth will affect you as if it were true. In John chapter 8, verse 44, and as I was reading this and sharing with you last week, that I, as I was looking at this and looking at Scripture in my quiet time, uh, I came across in reading John 8, re read these, this verse. It says, When the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We are not in a neutral place where we just simply live life and there's no influences that try to influence us in the wrong way. The, the Bible tells us that we have spiritual enemies and, and that spiritual enemy is the devil. The devil does not come out and, you know, jump at you like he does in these horror movies, but what he does is he begins to tell and speak into your ear lies. And after a while, if you listen to it long enough, what happens is you begin to believe the lie as the truth. And you begin to act on the lie as if it were true. So what we decided in this series is to talk about the lies that we believe. I, I thought over the years all the different things that I've heard in counseling 
And I'm not telling any counseling stories, by the way. I'm not telling, revealing any counseling things. Those are things that stay where they were. But just think about the issues that come up so often in counseling situations. People that come into my office over the last 20-plus years of ministry as a, as a pastor, and, and, and the thing that so often they're, what their problem is is they simply are believing a lie, something that's not simply true. Because the Bible says to us very clearly exactly what Chris Thurman says in John 8, 32. It says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What we want to look at, and we looked at last week one lie, and that was the lie that we cannot change, that this is just the way I am. And we looked at what the truth was about that. This morning what I want to do is I want to look with, deal with, with the truth about a, a lie that we know intellectually to not to be a lie. But because of, the tr- because of how we live practically, uh, so often we still follow along with this lie. And that is a lie this, that I can please everybody. That I can go through life and one of my goals is to please people, to be a people pleaser. And you're saying, I'm not a people pleaser. I want to just... I want to say, yeah, you probably are in some level. Because all of us have some issues in our life we need to deal with. The truth is that we were not designed to please people, at least all people. And, and uh, this morning what I want to talk about is the, is the truth that God's Word says is this, is that I can't please everyone, but I can please God. I can't please everyone, but I can please God. And we're going to talk about how you please God in a couple of weeks. Because we have a lot of lies we believe about that, about how you get connected with God. And we want to talk about the whole thing of, you know, can I be good enough to please God? Well, that's not the issue. But we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks is another lie we believe. But this morning, I want you to say it out loud. I want you to connect with me. Say these words after me. I can't please everyone, but I can please God. Okay, that's the truth we're going to talk about this morning, that you can't please everyone, but you can please God. Because this is, the, this is the thing that's really the focus of what we want to talk about for a few moments this morning. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. There's a story in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bible this morning, just going to look at it briefly. We're going to look at some scripture about what it says. Because this is such an obvious, clear teaching throughout God's word that we're not meant as persons to be people pleasers. That the problem in life is when we began to focus on people, we, we, we caught, it causes all kind of problems and pain in our life. In the book of Galatians, the background of that is this. The, the church of Galatia was a church where, as Paul went in, uh, he went in and he wrote this letter to the church at Galatia because they had some issues going on. The issues were that there were certain people that were perverting the truth. And the truth was that you only have to accept Jesus Christ to be saved. But there was a group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, what they did is they said, not only do you have to accept Jesus Christ, we want to add another stipulation. You also have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew. Now, that doesn't seem a big deal because they still believed in Jesus Christ, but they added another stipulation. And then there was this little battle going on in the Galatia church. But Well, some people say you don't have to do that. Some people say you do. Some people say, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. So there was all these different groups of people, and they were dealing with the very basic of how you become a believer. How do you get connected with God? How do things be made right with God? And so Paul comes in, and Paul comes in, and he begins to talk to the people, and, he's, and he realizes there's this problem. So Paul, uh, he... he uh, begins to come and he tells the message. He says, the message is this. 
The only thing we have to do to become a believer in Christ, to be right with God, is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he said it forcefully. And then the next day he realized, you know, after he said this, he says, you know, he realized that he had this kind of feedback. I don't know if they had tweet, Twitter or, you know, they had, uh, you know, how they did feedback in that day. But the thing was is he got some immediate feedback and people, he had this one group that kind of didn't like him because he said that. It's another group that was furious. The Judaizers are furious with him. Some others. So he started kind of thinking about it. So the next day he decides to... To, uh, to kind of soften or deal with that issue. And so he tries to do some the damage control. And so he does a, does a, a, a speech to him, And he, you know, he tries to say this to this group to make them feel better. And this to this group to make them feel better. Is that what he did? No. That's not what he did. Because Paul was not a people pleaser. So often in our world today, we see this so often in politics. It doesn't drive you crazy. You know, one day they say this. One day they say this. You're gonna, whichever group you happen to be with, this is what you say. Now, I'm not putting down politicians, but let me just tell you, we know that to be true. And in our life, we do the same thing so often. We will say things to people because we want to make sure that they like us. Let me tell you this morning, or actually last night, I get up at, uh, at 5.36 a.m. on Sunday mornings, get ready, come to church, study, whatever. So last night, every night, uh, Saturday night before I get up, I, the first thing I do Saturday night before I go to bed the last thing I do before I go to bed is to go into my closet, pull out my clothes, and look at them to make sure I have something to wear the next day. You know why I do that? So I won't be naked. No, I don't, no that's not the deal. Uh, no, because you know I want to. You know I want to look good because I want you to like me. You know, and I don't know if you think I look good this morning. You know, but truthfully, if I wore what I wanted to wear this morning to feel comfortable on a day that's ninety plus degrees, I would have. And I even do this in the winter. Um, when I'm inside, uh, I would put, have them on, if I wanted to be comfortable, I'd have on my baggy shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. That's my standard dress at the house. If you ever come by, you will find me, even in, in the winter, I put on a sweatshirt with my baggy shorts. You know, the, the big ones you wear, like uh, workout shorts, the big baggy ones that come down to here, you know, real comfortable, have drawstring. It's really comfortable. I, want, I like comfort. And if I really wore this morning what I wanted to wear to be comfortable this morning, I would not have this on. But I know that you have an expectation of what, you know, some of you come from a more traditional church and you think I should be wearing a tie and a suit. Well, don't expect that. This afternoon I'm doing a wedding, so I will have my tie and my suit on. If I do your funeral, I will have a tie and a suit. (laughs) But that's about the only time you'll see me in a tie and a suit. It's because I really don't like to wear ties and suits. I'll choke to death. But the thing is, we do those things because we want people to like us. And many of you spent a lot of time in front of the mirror this morning doing all kinds of things, guys and girls, because you want people to look like you. You want, you want to look good. You want people to look at you and go, oh, they look so cool. Don't you? Because if you really dress for comfort this morning the way you wanted to dress, you wouldn't look like you look right now. Well, some of you would. I'm not saying anything bad about that, but, uh, <laughs> but the issue is in life so often we do so many things because we want people to like us. We want to impress people. We, have, we, we hold people's opinions in high regards. But we know what Paul said. No, he, Paul didn't say to these people because they didn't like what he had to say. He didn't say, okay, folks, let me soften it a little bit. Let me make it a little more palatable for you. This is what he said in verse, in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. He said, after all this happened, he says, obviously... I am not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I am trying to please God. Because if I was still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. 
Now, I don't know if you take that to the extreme about what it's saying, but he's saying you can't please God and please people at the same time, if you think about it seriously here. This is not the only time in Scripture this is pointed out. There's this, there's this tension between pleasing God and pleasing people. So say it again. What well, we said, I can't please everyone, but I can please God. Okay? I want to talk that, about that this morning for a few moments about how to do that. And, and if those of you who are not convinced that you're a people pleaser, let me tell you a few characteristics of people pleasers. Okay? Just a few. Uh, one is this. People pleasers tend to take criticism personally. Tend to take criticism personally. You know, somebody came this morning, ten people could go out the door and say, Bill, that was a great sermon. I just loved it. It was just wonderful. And I'm sure that's going to happen. Some of you are still asleep this morning, yeah? Okay. And, but then it could be one person go out the door and say, I disagreed with what you said. Or even worse, they'll send an anonymous email. Now, you can't send anonymous emails, which is great. But it used to be in the old days you send anonymous letters. You know, I didn't you know, agree. It's so, just one person, a hundred people can say something good, but one person can say something negative. And you know, guess what I would feel like? I used to feel terrible. Now I just feel like they're uninformed. <laughs> but let me, let's be honest. Does it hurt when, you know, you can have a tw- 20 people say, oh, you look so great, and one person can come to you this morning and say, some, so probably some, some eight-year-old. Because they're totally serious. I mean, they're totally honest. Aren't kids totally honest? Sometimes not. Their judgment isn't real good. But, but they're totally honest. My wife was a school teacher for like 20 years. She uh, said, that, you know, she's always coming up and going, you know, kids are so honest. They, they, some kid came up to me today and said, Mrs. White, you look terrible. <laughs> but if one person came today and said something to you, 20 people said something wonderful to you, but one person, how would you feel? Would it affect you? For most of you, I think it would. Because there's something about that one person who says something negative to you that really grabs a hold of us, that causes us to, um, to, re- to really not look, relook at ourselves. <clears throat> so people pleasers tend to take criticism very personally. Another thing about people pleasers is they fear and, uh, feel an extraordinary fear of rejection. People pleasers are always worried about being rejected. They, uh, they will almost do anything, whatever it takes, to, for people don't reject them. They'll fit in with a crowd. I think it's amazing nowadays, and we did this too when we were growing up. When you were in school, in high school or middle school, you know, you, you always, at least my generation was like, we're going to be different, we're going to be rebels. And then we all wore the same things because everybody else was doing it. Kids at school will do the same thing. They'll, they'll, they're so concerned about it, but we'll do the same thing as adults. Just in a little more, you know, mature way. We, we live the same way. We kind of have the same houses. We kind of feel like if you live, you know, you've got to have the same kind of, you know, it's really cool. There's certain cool cars and non-cool cars. My son told me my car is non-cool. <laughs> I guess Pontiac vibes are not cool. So they're economical and they work great, but they're not cool. You know, I don't care really. But so often we'll even, you know, purchase things because we're so, uh, we have this extraordinary fear of rejection. Another thing that people pleasers uh, do is they find it hard to express true feelings. People pleasers find it hard to express true feelings. Because we're so concerned about uh, uh, what people think, uh, I'd like to tell you what I think, but I'm afraid 
you'll reject me or you'll hurt my, or I might hurt your feelings or you might not like what I have to say. And so those are the people in small groups that never talk because they're really afraid of offending anyone with the words and they're also afraid of being rejected because if somebody saw who they really were, they might not like them. That's a people-pleaser thing. And, and the last thing, and there's, there's a whole bunch of other things I could say, but people-pleasers, this is probably the biggest ones, have a hard time saying no. Have a hard time saying no. People-pleasers tend to overcommit. We're going to talk about this issue next week. Is One of the lies that we believe is that we can do it all. We can do it all. And I want to tell you right up front that that... To, to try to do it all is a sin. It's not just stupid, it's a sin. It's what Scripture says. It's going against what God wants you to do. We'll talk about why that's important next week. To understand what God wants you to do and focus on it. But uh, people pleasers have a hard time saying no. They tend to overcommit. They can be very agreeable on the outside, but man, inside they're going like, I didn't want to do that. You ever said that? I wish, why did I say yes? And then you turn around and you're, you say yes and you turn right around and go, I don't wish I hadn't said that. You're a people pleaser. Harriet Breck, uh, 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 author named Harriet Brecker wrote a book called The Disease to Please. That's where I got the sermon title this morning, The Disease to Please. And she said this, she said that people pleasers are addicts. Just like an addict is, a person who's a drug addict who seeks drugs, people pleasers seek approval. And she says this, it's a very dangerous disease because when we become obsessed with what people think about us, it's the fastest way to forget what God thinks about, what, uh, about, about us. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? If you're a people pleaser, what do you do? And all of us have some people pleasing tendencies in our life. And it causes us pain. It causes us all kinds of problems in our life. What do you do if you're a people pleaser? Two facts about people pleasers this morning. Number one, the Bible says to us clearly that people pleasing is a form of idolatry. People-pleasing is a form of idolatry. Now, when I read this, I was going like, I better not say that, I might not like it. Because I want to please people. No, I don't. People-pleasing is a form of idolatry. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the top ten, not Letterman's top ten, or whoever top ten it does anymore, but you know, in the top ten, the big ten, called the Ten Commandments, he says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. But when we surrender our, our lives to the opinion of people, instead of, instead of the opinion of God, what we are doing is elevating people into the rightful spot where God should be. People-pleasing is more of a spiritual problem than it is a relational problem. It's idolatry. A great example of that in the New Testament is over in John chapter 12, where some of the leaders, leaders in the church, these were Christian leaders in the church, um, wouldn't go public with their faith because, well, let me tell you what it says in Scripture. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, it says, But because of the Pharisees, who were religious leaders, but not the ones we're talking about here, they, these Christian leaders, would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. And this is what it says. This is, this, is, this is a clincher. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. 
Basically, they loved the opinions of men more than they, they held in esteem the opinions of men more than the opinions of God. It's called idolatry. It's placing something in, in place of God. And opinions can be that, or, or what we place our value in. In Proverbs 29 25, it says this Fear of men will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Fear of what people are thinking can be a stare. Fear of what people are going to do. Fear of what people are going to say about me. Those can be snares. That word snare comes from a Hebrew word, uh, um, mokesh. And that Hebrew word basically translated means a snare or a trap. Or I like the other translation of it as well. It means a hook or a ring in the nose. It means literally that, you know, having this big ring in your nose. And you're led around by it. Can you picture that? It's pretty gross. But, but that's what it literally means. It means it, it, this, this fear of per, what people think, this fear of what people would say about you, this fear of what people will do to you, this fear that holding people in this high opinion is a snare. It's a trap. It's like people are leading you around by the nose. Literally. And as I shared and started this, this series and started today, the thing that the Bible says to us is Satan is constantly trying to tell us lies about this whole deal. Now there's three, three real quick, let me give you three specific traps or snares that uh, our enemy, the, Satan, uh, will lure us into. The first one is called this, I will call it this, I will compromise for you trap. I was a youth pastor for, uh, for about eight years before I was a big pastor. I don't think lead pastors are any different than, they're just pastors of different groups of people, okay? I was a youth pastor. And so constantly I was talking to teenagers about some of the problems and some of the boundaries and some of the things we need to do in dating life. And so often I found that boys and girls dating will, ha- will fall into this, I will compromise for you trap. Because I love you so much, I will compromise for you. You know, if a girl starts pushing a guy, a guy starts pushing a girl to go further than they really want to go. You know what I'm talking about. I will compromise for you because I want to please you. And I'm talking about Christian young men and young women. People who have made a commitment to Christ was most of the ones I dealt with. And as new Christians or, you know, were ones who were seeking and, and they were trying to do the right thing. But the problem is so often we have that. Or, it, or something probably many of us fall a trap into. You're, you're at work or you're at school or wherever you are and somebody tells an off-color joke. And you're in a crowd. And you kind of laugh even though you know the joke is something you really shouldn't be laughing about. Because you want to be a part of the crowd. You don't want to look like the religious weirdo. Or so often, so often what we'll do is we'll fall into this, I will compromise for you trap because in the way we spend our money, so many people will go into debt and they're dying and drowning financially. Why? Because they feel the pressure to live up to everyone else's expectations. You know, if I'm successful, I gotta have a house this big, and I gotta drive these kind of cars, and my kids have to wear these kind of clothes, and they have to go to this school, or, or just name it. And so often we compromise because we, we fear what men have to say, people have to say, more than we fear what God has to say. We hold it in higher esteem in our lives. Even at our jobs sometimes we can do that. Even though we know that we, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get a job done, get the deal done, and we massage the numbers a little bit so that they you know, will make us look good. So we'll... We know it's not right, but we compromise 
And that's proof that we fear the opinions of people more than we fear or hold and esteem God. It's a hook in the nose, and we have to be careful. Another uh, trap that Satan pulls us into besides I will compromise for you trap is that I will overcommit for you trap. I said before, one of the problems of people who are people pleasers and they don't know how to say no. Uh, people will often say, well, I care for this person so much that I will do just about anything for them. Well, let me explain something to you, and I explain this to every person and when they're going through premarital counseling with me. The person, and when they're sitting in an office and there's the, the guy and the girl sitting there, and I say, to look at the other person next to you. And they'll do that, and I go, huh. They have these you know, warm, goosey feelings, you know, looking in each other's eyes deeply. I'll say, that person sitting there is going to disappoint you. <gasps> Impossible. We love each other so much. They're going to meet all of my needs, all my expectations. Wrong! There is no person on this earth that's going to meet all your expectations going to meet all your needs. No human person. The Bible says the only person that can do that, his name is Jesus Christ. So we'll so often to overcommit to things. And you know, let me explain to you. You're getting married, you're committed to that other person. Yes. But if you expect them to meet all your needs and you overcommit and you say, I'm going to meet all your needs. You're falling to this, I will overcommit for you trap. And I believe this is next week that we talk about it next week. But this whole thing that society says to us that we need to do all of these things that we need to um, we need to uh, uh, meet everyone else's expectations. Normal society puts on us so many things that we're supposed to do that it causes us so much stress in our life that normal in our society has become insane. Normal has become insane in American culture. If we think we're supposed to do everything society says we're supposed to do. So we have people who are overcommitted, overstretched, under-resourced. And those kind of people have very little time for God, very little time for their families. Because they're living to everyone else's expectations. It's the I will overcommit trap. Third trap. I will let you limit my success trap. Now you're going, what? One of the problems with people pleasers is we listen to what everybody else has to say about what we're supposed to do. One of the issues in life that we so often happens in our life is this. A lot of times people will stop doing the right thing because of the opinions of others. Now let me say this is, this is a fact. This is a fact. I know without a doubt in Scripture it says it time and time and time again. God has a plan for your life. Do you believe that? God says, even before you were born, I knew you, and I have a plan to prosper you, to make you successful. I have a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. You don't want to know how, how you find out what that plan is? Look at who God made you, what he made you to be. You know, if the, the gifts, the abilities, the skills, the passions. God, all those things are part of God's plan for your life. But so often in life, young people will decide what they're going to do in life, not based on those things, but on what somebody else tells them they should do. Parents, your job, and I'm, 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 I'll say this, I don't care what you think, because I'm not a people pleaser, I'm a God pleaser most of the time. The deal is this, is that your job is not to tell your kid, do what I do. 
Your, your job as a parent, if, if you're a godly parent, is to help your child discover who they are in Christ, how God has shaped them, has made them, and encourage them to go in that direction. Not to become a clone of you. You know, I discourage my kids from becoming pastors. That sounds bad, doesn't it? But I know the pitfalls. The good, the bad, the ugly, all the stuff. It's, you know, every job has its ups and its downs. But I also know this. Neither one of my children are shaped the way I am. My daughter's going to be a counselor. She just finished grad school for that. My son, business finance. Man, how did he got that? I don't know. He must have come from a different planet. Because that is not my deal. But man, he's been loving money and how it works ever since he was in the second grade. And I'm going, yeah, you need to do something with that. He's good in math. He, he's brilliant in that area. And I'm going like, you know, that's where he needs to be because that's the way God has shaped him. He's given him passions for it. He's given him gifts for it. That is the deal. And so often because we will let other people tell us that you need to be doing this because this is the important. You need to be a doctor or a lawyer. I mean, I don't know why. Or an Indian chief. I don't know, you know. You know the little phrase. But the thing is, is we, this is the thing where, you know, if you work for CAD and engineer. Now, it's all right to be an engineer if God shaped you to be an engineer. But the issue is, is that God wants you to not simply let people limit your success because the only way in life, success is not determined by how much you make or even what you do. It's determined by doing what God wants you to do and doing it with all of your heart. That's success. And so, so often in life, because we fear people so much and we want to please people, we will allow people to limit our success. And the Bible calls it idolatry. So what's the answer? What's the answer to it? This is the ongoing challenge. Let me tell you, I struggle with this one every day. This whole thing of how do you, how do you balance this whole thing? Well, it's really this. As a pastor, I want to serve you. God calls me to be a servant leader. But at the same time, I'm a person. I want people to like me. Isn't that bizarre? And I'm sure you do too. You want people to like you, but you want to do certain things as well. And, and I understand this. The only way that I can effectively do what God wants me to do is not to live to please people, but to live to please God. So here is the answer to the antidote to this thing. The, be- the fear of God is the best antidote. The fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of people. Now, I don't mean that you, you're... Fear means reverence, awe, placing God. God is, your, is the number one thing in your life above everything else. It's that simple. In this one statement, the fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of people, uh, this one statement can be absolutely and completely life-changing if we live by it. In fact, if you were to say, I'm kind of a people-pleaser... None of us would come out and say, yeah, I'm a people pleaser. I'm kind of a people pleaser. That's how we phrase things. Let me tell you, if you say that, let me tell you this, and I want to say it lovingly. If that's true, if you are kind of a people pleaser, people are too big in your life, and God is too small. People are too big in your life, and God is too small if you're a people pleaser. The opinions of people are too big. You're giving too much weight to them. And the opinion of God has become way too small. Because here's what scripture says in Psalms 34, 9. It says, let the Lord's people show him reverence. For those who honor him 
will have all that they need. For those who honor him will have all that they need. You see, when you reverence God, when you place him first, when he is first, you don't need the approval of people. I think that's part of the maturity process as a Christian. We less and less worry about the approval of people. We more and more want to honor God with our life. Regardless of how it makes us look. You know, I'm going to tell you this, folks. If my family is a bit different from your family, that's okay if I'm a Christian. Because generally in America, most families are messed up. And it's not real true, you know, if we follow what generally, what is... What we see around us so often, uh, it's all right. You you can live, uh, why you live the life you live, why I live the life I live is because this is what God has called called me to be about. You know, I struggle over the years with this whole thing because we live in a, here in Germantown Hills, and if you live in Washington or you live in Metamora, you live in Eureka or you live in where everybody else lives, it goes to Great Oaks, um, you live there, you have pressures around you to live a certain way. And, um, yeah, you know, when I came here um, seven years ago, the, the bank told me that I could afford this kind of house. And I said, well, no, God doesn't tell me that, that because God says I need to live under something called financial margin in my life. So I said, I'm going to cut that in half. And that's the house. we. And since then, we've downsized again. Because God's principles are that not to live to the extent of my income, but to live and have financial margins so I can be able to be generous in life with what I have. And truthfully, I could care less you know, what people think. I have a nice house. Yeah, I do. Plenty big. No problem. I drive a Pontiac vibe, and I don't care if it's not cool or not. It's economical. It hauls junk. You know, it's, it's, it's a great vehicle exactly for what I want. And I'm not worried about that. I, it's, you know, see, when you, when you show reverence for God, it's, by how the, it's, it's shown in the decisions you make. Are they godly decisions? Are they based upon God's principles in your life? That shows that you fear God more than you fear people. You see, God is so big to me because I want to live for him and not for the approval of people. And when you live for God, I promise you, let me tell you this, when you live for God, I promise you, you will be different because normal is rarely godly. God becomes so big you say, I won't compromise for you. God becomes so big that you won't overcommit. God becomes so big because... You're going to do life according to the rhythms of God. You're not stressed out. Jesus said this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and worn out, and I will give you rest. We think that stress is normal, don't we? In our society, we think that stress is normal because all of us are stressed out. But really, God says to us, Jesus says to us, come to me, all of you who are weary and worn burdened, and I will give you rest. Stress is not normal in God's economy, not not least all the time. And because we're dragged around by the nose with that ring, that snare, because we're dragged around by that all the time so often in our life and trying to meet the expectations of everyone else, so often what we do is we commit the sin of doing too much. We'll talk about that next week. I want to say to you this. um, For many of us, 
The truth is, is you need to be set free. You need to be set free from the expectations of others. You need to be set free from trying to win the approval of people. You need to set, be set free so that you can place God and have God in position where he is a big God in your life. And I really believe that that would be true in our lives. Life, if we've been living that way, that God was a big God in our life, bigger than anything else in our life for years and years, that our life would be dramatically different than it is today. For some of you, you would have a different career today. For some of you, you'd be living in a different place, maybe a different home and a different location. For some of you, you would have financial margin in tough times. You see, the only way you can be totally changed is to stop caring what everybody else thinks and be who God created you to be and let God be number one. Live for an audience of one. You see, it's a disease to please, this whole thing of trying to please people, and you must be set free. And if you, th- if you are consumed with what, you, what people think, that is the fastest way to forget what God thinks. The only antidote for fear of what people think is for God to be bigger in your life. Seek him. Surrender to him. Know him. Let him become bigger and be set free from the opinions of people. It's the only way you can please God. Jesus is enough. It's all we need. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.